Good morning, CBC family. My name is Amy Cantalina, and I'm here to share a short testimony about our God, who is a God who knows. This promise, which one could argue is actually more of an attribute of God than a promise, first struck me when we were studying Exodus last fall in women's Bible study in Exodus 2.25. <clears throat> this verse follows the description of the dire situation of slavery and oppression facing the Hebrews, and it concludes the chapter by stating, God saw the people of Israel, and God knew. To me, the thought of our gracious, faithful, omnipotent, loving God knowing implied to me that God had plans to act for the good of his people and for his glory. <clears throat> it suggested to me that nothing takes God by surprise or escapes his notice or is too difficult for him to understand or he doesn't need to do his research to get up to speed on all the details. He knows. The older I get, the more aware I am of how much I do not know. Our world today is filled with information. It can feel overwhelming to realize the amount of information that we don't know, and it grows exponentially day by day, despite our best efforts. <clears throat> and in my humanness, not knowing can lead to a path of fear and anxiety, especially things that are too big for me to grasp or things about the future, especially related to my children. On the larger scale, I take comfort knowing that God is sovereign over all the big things. He knows his plans for our redemption and for the unfolding of his eternal kingdom. God knew COVID was gonna rock our world. God knows the suffering of people facing oppression and warfare around the world. God knows the strife, the division, the friction, the geopol geopolitical conflicts that face our world today. And yet he knows the plans he has for this world, for his creation, and for every generation that walks this earth. What's more, not only in his omniscience does he know all of things at all times, but because of his love and his relational nature, he knows the intimate details of each of our lives and our hearts. He's a personal God who knows us. As it says in Psalm 103:14, he knows our frame. So more personally for me, <clears throat> God knew that when I was a senior in high school and applying early decision to Johns Hopkins University, the only college to which I actually applied, he knew that Tom had done the same one year prior and was already enrolled as a freshman there. God knew that as a new believer on campus, I would need the love and support and accountability of fellow believers, and he sent folks from InterVarsity Christian Fellowship to knock on my dorm door that first week of school. God knew that the love and the aptitude he had given me for learning languages and the heart that he had given me for cross-cultural communicating would lead not only to working in the field of international studies for a time, but ultimately would lead to the adopting of our youngest two children, whose ages at adoption meant having a mama who spoke Chinese would ease their transition. A little more near term, God knew that our oldest daughter was struggling greatly in high school. But she was hiding her struggles from us. And God knew that it would take the perfect storm of converging and escalating crisis in my extended and immediate family involving both mental and physical illness in my extended family as well as Tom suffering a stroke while out of state for work. It took this perfect storm for our daughter to find the courage to ask for help to deal with self-harm and suicidal thoughts. For the present, God knows when I'm weary and I need a word of encouragement from a friend. He knows when my kids will require extra grace from me and he provides it. He knows my anxious thoughts, my limitations, my unfulfilled longings, and my failures. God knows my heart's proneness to wander and he knows what it will take to draw me back to him and remind me of my reliance on him. And all of these things together give me comfort as I look to the future. God knows the plans he has for my young adult children as they make decisions for their lives and as they learn, we pray, to walk out their own faith. 
God knows what the future holds for my younger two daughters who are still at home and are learning to own their own faith and navigate this crazy world. And God knows the number of days written in his book for me, for Tom, and for each of us. And because he knows, we need not fear. Thank you. Good morning. For those of you who don't know me, I'm Tom Cantalina, one of the elders here at CBC. And if you haven't quite pieced two plus two, that was my wife. Yes, Amy is my wife. Uh, we've been married for over 32 years, and it's hard to believe that that summer at Hopkins, that September at Hopkins was almost oh, 35 years ago. I don't feel that old. Now, I, I do ask that God fills me with his spirit so that I can be half as articulate as my wife is in explaining things. I think in pictures, and I frequently, when I put together talks, I put together slides, or as I call them, infographics, and that's the way I speak. And I, I want to give a special thanks to Ming Wei and his translation work so that our Chinese brothers and sisters can follow along in their language. I know it's hard to deal with the way I write and think and translate that. And I will try my best to stay with the outline that I've put in place so that you can follow along. But that being said, I also, more importantly, for the sake of the gospel, want to follow the leading of the Spirit. When we don't understand, God knows. When my wife brought up this promise, and it is the promise that I want to focus on, not the attribute. It helps us to realize we're in a world that is beyond our understanding. For some reason, partially because we're created in the image of God, he's built in us a desire to understand what is going on around us, to be able to comprehend things as we see it. And when we see things that don't fit with how we're thinking about things, that's what behavioral health specialists called cognitive dissonance. <laughs> Big fancy phrase for, makes me uncomfortable. I don't like it. Or when it gets to its extreme states, it makes us anxious and fearful. The problem is, we can never get to a state of full understanding. And we have to come to peace with that. And the only way you're truly going to come to peace with that is to know God knows. So when we don't understand how good it is to know that God knows. So, to go in line with what I was saying before, how I think in infographics, I think in multiple dimensions. I don't always think linearly. And if you've ever been into my Sunday school classes and tried to follow me, it's very hard to follow me because I don't go linearly. And like I also stated, my wife is a phenomenal writer and she can do that. So I usually get frequent feedback when I'm trying to go down a path. <laughs> Am I straying a little too far? Not going to do a physics lesson, but I wanted to start out with the concept of dimensions. Because it really starts to take us down the journey of understanding the phrase, the Hebrew phrase, to know. 
You have to remember that dimensions are in essence a way to describe our physical universe. The first dimension is sort of that line, that place to place. You can even start with a point and get into that. Second dimension, you need a two dimensions to really paint a picture. You can't paint a picture in one dimension. You need two dimensions. So that increases your understanding. Then to give depth to your understanding is when you go into the third dimension. And without a third dimension, you can't see a true being. You can try to imagine it when you see a picture, but it's not till you have that third dimension that you truly understand. And then the fourth dimension that people don't really remember is out there is time. What that means is things change. So right now you're seeing me in four dimensions because I'm moving as you watch me. And it's giving you an understanding or a knowledge of what I'm saying. My hands express what I'm trying to say. I'm Italian, so if you want to shut me up, you just have me sit on my hands. <laughs> now, let's take that a little bit further. In the bottom corner of the screen, I have a mathematical expression of this four dimensions. And they take snapshots of it and put it on a screen so that we could begin to grasp what it represents because it's really three dimensions changing over time and so we can only see it in snapshots or perspectives. But just imagine if you were God. You could see this as one thing and understand. Try to look at that and think of it as a moving item by just looking at that picture. You can't. And I liked how Psalm 139.6 puts it very blatantly. Such knowledge is too wonderful for me. It is high. I cannot attain it. So before I go into what it is to know, let's read Exodus 23 and 25 to give this context. During those many days the king of Egypt died and the people of Israel groaned because of their slavery and cried out for help. Their cry for rescue from slavery came up to God and God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, with Isaac, and with Jacob. And God saw the people of Israel and God knew. Again, I like graphic representation of things. So I broke out this passage into chunks. So that we could start to digest it. What you see on the left side of the screen. Is Israel. With the subject, verb, and object. Yeah. I was doing physics, now I'm going to grammar. Maybe I'll get a little bit more into <laughs> science. No. The Israel groaned because of their slavery. Israel cried for help. Now on the reciprocal side, God heard their cry, but then God minding his covenant. And I use the term minding up very purposefully. Because we see in the many translations remembered as if it was a past tense. But if you remember when Milt spoke on this passage back in the fall. It's an active consciousness of a situation. A 
a minding of his covenant, his promise. It was in context in remembering his covenant. And if you remember the term Zakar that I went into detail a year ago on Memorial Day when I talked about Joshua and the 12 stones. This minding of his covenant changed the context from he heard their cry to he saw his people. And he be ends that phrase with something that stands in and of itself. God knew. So getting into the first part of that verse, or actually every word up into the last two words, there is a lot of history, a ton of history, to use a phrase or a colloquialism, to explain what it means. The entire book of Genesis explains what that passage means. God heard Israel. And he remembered his covenant. And if you look back to his covenant, what is really interesting, as I went into the detail, is before he gave his first covenant to Abram, before he became Abram, a few verses before, he talked about his people, who would be many, being sojourners and being slaves in a foreign nation for 400 years. I'll let that set in. Back in Genesis 15.3, he already knew they would be crying out to him because of their slavery. But he goes deeper into the promises because then God saw. He didn't just hear. He saw his people. That is so important because it's about a relationship here. It's not just the knowledge and we're going to get into a lot of detail on that in the next few slides. But it's he saw this relationship. Now the context here as well where he talks about hearing Jacob and seeing Israel comes in time and time again throughout the Old Testament because it, it could be a sermon in and of itself and I'm not going to go into it but maybe whet your appetite do a little research yourself. But I want you to understand he knew was in context of a deep relationship. And that's really, as we get into the term yada, or gnosko is the Greek. And no, I'm not going to give you a study in foreign languages. Again, that would be something my wife does, not that I do. I struggle with English. <laughs> but as we go down this journey, I want you to understand that yada is so much more than just to know. It's so much more than a knowledge or a book understanding. As you see up there, I put somewhere between yada, 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 but not quite to omniscience. What I mean by that is, if any of you remember the Seinfeld sitcom, it was in the late 90s, they made the Yiddish phrase yada, yada, yada famous when one of their episodes. And it was like the blah, 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 you know, you know, you know, and they even went a little bit further than that. Yeah, it, this isn't, while it might have been a misuse of the term yada. It was not what is meant here. But it is not just the 
scientific, all-knowing, omniscient God. And you know, that term in Latin, omniscient, means to know in detail all parts. It literally, you can know it down to the atom, down to the quark, if you want to do quantum physics. <laughs> That's not what's here. It's more getting into, as I said, the relationship. So let's get into yada, to know. Let's start to break apart the dimensions of this word so that we can see what God is saying here when it says God knew. Now I will admit that trying to define yada as God intends it here is almost like trying to define pi. <laughs> and recently they have gotten to a, a billion decimal places <laughs> with pi. That's a lot. But it's about that infinite in trying to grasp. And our finite mind will never grasp an infinite God. But that doesn't mean we shouldn't try. Because God designed us to understand, to learn, to know. He made us in His image. So the first dimension I want to get into is the one we usually think about to know. The technical understanding. That I know something. It's to have a technical knowledge or to comprehend how something works, to know something. What's interesting is the first use of the term yada in the Bible is around this dimension. It has to do with understanding here, God used it in context of eating of the tree of good and evil, the fruit of good and evil. That they would know what it is like to be God, to know God. Both sides of the equation start to get exposed to the vast expanse of knowledge. But when you try to put an infinite amount of information into a finite container, i.e. all of good and evil into the human brain, it doesn't work so well. And I'm not going to get into human choice versus God's sovereignty here. That's, again, a whole other sermon series. But I want you to understand that that book knowledge or that just brain knowledge is one of the dimensions of the term yada, but it just starts there. The next dimension or way to use yada is to have a face-to-face -face encounter with. And I like that face-to-face. -face. You know, it's real. It goes beyond just the book knowledge. It, it goes to perceive or recognize or to have a first-hand knowledge of something. What comes to mind here, and I use these verses as it refers to seeing and perceiving, is I thought of a great example. And I'd love to put it on slides, but the whole point is you can't put it on slides because it wouldn't be first-hand. Imagine if I put a slide up of the Rocky Mountains. You could see the Rocky Mountains on a slide. It'd be the two dimensions. <laughs> now, I'm lucky enough that my oldest son, or my only son, lives out in Boulder, so I get to visit him out in the foot of the Rockies. And I love to stand out there and look up at the majesty of those mountains. That's to know the Rockies. A 3 by 5 picture or even a 20 megapixel picture on your screen is not knowing the Rockies. Standing 
in the presence of the Rockies is to know it. And that's that next dimension, that face-to-face -face encounter. But it doesn't stop there. The next one starts to get more into a richer understanding. To know from personal experience. What I like to say is, you know, I've been there, done that. Here in the book of Job, if anybody knows about the book of Job, he had a lot of bad things happen to him. But God said at one point, you shall know that your tent is at peace. That's something you have to experience. You can't see it. You can't read about it. You have to know it. So I thought, okay, what's a good analogy? What's a good metaphor to help us understand this level? And another great idea came to mind. Skydiving. <laughs> you could read about it in a book. You could see a picture of it. You could watch a movie of it. You could even stand in a field looking up with good binoculars and watch it happen firsthand. But you don't understand it. Because even if your eyes are closed and you jump out of that back of the plane and see nothing, you experience it. Now, I haven't had the privilege of jumping out of a plane. I've flown a few, been in some high-speed ones. But there is nothing like the experience of something firsthand to truly understand what it means. And when God knows because he has that level of understanding. And to prove that to us, about 2,000 years ago, he took on human flesh. He was born of a virgin. He grew up as a young man. He experienced firsthand what we experience. So when it says God knew, he knew. He'd been there. He'd done that. All the way to the point of death on a cross. It kind of gives you a deeper understanding of God knew, doesn't it? But wait, there's more. Now we're starting to get into the infinite. Another dimension of yada is to know someone or something in complete detail. Now, how well do you even know your own house? Could you walk through it with your eyes closed? How well do you know things? But God knows you down to the very atoms that make up the molecules, that make up the proteins, that make up the cells, that make up the organs, that make up the body, that make up your consciousness. That's how much detail God knows. It's like a PhD level of knowledge. We can grasp one, maybe two things. But we can't get to that level of to know. 
of that level of yada. Tying back to other sermons again, last week, if you remember Milt talking about when we are weak, God is strong, he used the book of Habakkuk as the background. And right in the middle of the book, it's almost exactly the middle, it's three chapters, and this is the middle of chapter two. It says, for the earth will be filled with the knowledge of the glory of the Lord as the water covers the sea. Things will be known as they should be, in the detail they should be. You can see how these dimensions are starting to build on themselves. You're going from, yeah, a book knowledge. Now I see it. Now I've experienced it. Now I'm truly understanding. I'm getting that depth, that three dimensions that I can get to. But that's what God has of us. I am reminded of a book I read way back when, when I first started down my journey of growing as a Christian. It was J.I. Packard's Knowing God. If you haven't read it, it's a classic. I'm not talking about us necessarily knowing God, but what I want to point out in there is this contrast. Because in that, he makes the statement that to study God is the greatest pursuit any man can strive after. Because for the finite to try to grasp the infinite will stretch our minds to the extent no other study could. Because other things can be known. We're learning about the boson particles. <laughs> We're learning about different technologies, languages, each other. But we can never fully know God because He is infinite. But let's flip that around. God fully knows us. Which brings me to my last point. At least on the term yada. To know intimately. In fact, when we hear the term to know biblically, people usually think of this version of yada. It's the second version or way yada is used in Genesis. First, it talks about the book knowledge when it talks about knowing good and evil. But then it talks about in Genesis 4.1, now Adam knew Eve. Adam, yada, Eve. And she conceived the son. The reason it's used in that way is they needed to give a dimension of what I think is a better description when you read lower on the slide where it says to be made known, be or become known, to be revealed. And going back to that phrase, he saw Israel, his people, and he knew. Talks to this level of intimate knowledge. To see you as you really are. To be seen. Let's face it, we don't like to be seen. One of the reasons we wear clothes. We were naked and ashamed. We put on a facade we behave in public a certain way so that people see what we want them to see. But you know what? God sees you 
as you really are. God sees past that facade when he said he saw his people. It was because he knew the history of his people. He knew they would be in slavery. He knew they were crying out. He knew beyond their cries how they were feeling. He knew their frustration. He knew their successes. He knew there was nothing he did not know. Yes, that was a double negative. <laughs> John 15, really the whole chapter, starts to get to this level of knowledge, but it's a two-way street too. Where it says, abide in me, and I in you. For the servant does not know, does not know, and that's the ganasco, the same as the yada, his master is losing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made yada ganasco known to you. This is Psalm 139. This is really what the sermon is built on. I'm not going to go into each verse because that's where I got all of these dimensions of knowledge from. I put it in your handout for going deeper because I want you to be good Bereans, to take everything I've said here today and make sure it's true. Hold it up to Scripture. Yada, or to know, is the 15th most popular Hebrew word in the Old Testament. It's used over 950 times in the Old Testament. And then Gnosko is about 200 plus times in the New Testament. And I say they're the same because when you read the Septuagint, which is the Greek translation of the Old Testament, they replace yada with Gnosko. And it is all about that relationship. And when you read Psalm 139, you start to see that. For you have searched me and known me. When you start to get to this level of understanding of to know, yada, God knew. It takes a verse that was about 30 years ago, if I recall, because I remember living in, Cal uh, in California at the time when it became a very popular little book on Jeremiah 29.11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans for welfare and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. It was that name it and claim it, that sunshine and unicorns. Yes, it's going to be great. But they took it out of context. Where was Jeremiah when he wrote this? Exiled in Babylon after the destruction of Jerusalem, the destruction of the temple, all that they had known had been taken away and destroyed. Now God had a purpose and a plan in that. And that's what he's saying here. I knew the plan. And that's when he told Jeremiah that I have a hope and a future for you. And that's what he's telling you today. To make it more personal, 
I can remember, actually it was before that time of that book coming out. I'll be completely transparent here. I do some of my greatest thinking in the shower. <laughs> Probably because it's the only place where I'm left alone to myself. <laughs> Not bombarded by a, a million other things. And I remember, you know, it was, we lived over in Maryland. I was in med school. Life seemed pretty good. But I started thinking down, what if this was all taken away from me? Would I still believe? What if I was no longer in med school and living my dream? Would I still believe? What if I lost my health, my wealth, my wife? Would I still believe? I felt confident standing there that day. But God knew he had a plan. Fast forward to 2015. I'm in Ohio on a trip. I'm actually getting my uh, flight training. And I have a stroke. I'm healthy. I'm doing triathlons. And I have a stroke. God, why? I was laying in a bed. I couldn't feed myself. I couldn't get out of bed. I couldn't walk. I couldn't stand. In fact, I had to keep one eye closed because if I had two eyes open, it was so much movement, I'd throw up. I thought my life was older. But for some reason that I cannot explain, I sat there and had a peace to know God has a plan. God knows me. I can't explain it. But it was the same peace I felt in that shower 25 years ago. Before that, not, it's been more than... 30 years now. Because I knew God knows. He has a plan. And sometimes I make mistakes. But God knows I'll make a mistake. And He will be there. And will work it out. And as you heard from maybe even amidst that, God used that circumstance to help my daughter. I would have never thought of that. Which in turn helped me because once I heard my daughter was in trouble, there was nothing stopping me. I was up in a chair in two days. I was walking by the end of the week. I was actually swimming a week later. Because God knew and he had a plan. And I am going to be his instrument. Which leads me to my conclusion. When you're experiencing... Cognitive dissonance. When you have fear and anxiety, when you're feeling hopeless and alone, remember God knows. He knows us so well that while we were yet sinners, He sent His Son to die for us. And it is through knowing this simple fact. And believing it, dimension one, that we can have an eternal and intimate relationship with our Creator, dimension five. Let's pray. Father, as always, when I attempt to bring forth your truth, I feel so inadequate. And I do pray that the words I spoke that were in line with your scripture, with your holy word, that they are remembered, that they pierce and hit the target.
that they change lives. But the things that were from my selfish nature, that were from me, that they will be forgotten. I pray most of all that this truth, this extremely comforting truth, that you see us and you know us and you love us will motivate us to take this out of this room and bring it to a world that needs to hear it. May this light that comes from you, from Christ alone, be reflected through our lives to everybody we meet, that they too might understand that God knows where they are at and what they need. May the power of Christ work through us so that the world might know of the love of God. Amen.